Welcome to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. On this podcast, we journey through the devastating experience of the death of a child. Grief is seldom discussed openly in our culture, and the death of a child makes people feel even more uncomfortable. We approach the topic openly and honestly, speaking to people who have lost loved ones and experts who help care for them. Whether you are a parent experiencing loss or someone who wants to support another going through this tragedy, this podcast strives to offer hope and help. Welcome to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. I'm Marcy Larson, Andy's mom. Thanks for joining me today as we discuss grief and healing after losing a child. In today's inaugural episode, I speak with my husband, Eric, about our experience over the last year after the death of our son, Andy. Thanks for coming on our first show. Well, Eric. thanks for having me. Um, I do want to thank you for helping make this whole podcast possible. You were certainly um, my inspiration to do this. I, uh, For those of you who don't know, Eric is an anesthesiologist, and he started his own podcast about a year and a half ago, and he puts out weekly episodes on healthcare issues. Mostly weekly. <laughs> Mostly weekly, almost always weekly. And um, anyway, because of that, I after we had the death of our son, Andy, I decided to look into listening to a podcast on um, losing a child, and I found that there was none. And Eric, you thought, certainly, I just didn't know what I was looking for, so you started looking, and we both determined that there really isn't one. There are some great podcasts on grief, um, and sometimes they will uh, talk about losing a child, but nothing that is focused on that directly. And I do feel like it's a unique experience um, that people need support and help getting through. Um, so that's kind of the background on this show. And I think we'll start off today just by talking about our son Andy and who he was and um, then about what happened to him that night. So if you want to start just talking about Andy, that would be great. Yeah, so the hardest thing is always describing someone, um, you know, so Andy was was 14. Uh, he passed away mid-August the 15th of 2018. So a little over a year ago, as we're recording this, uh, he was the middle kid of our two, uh, Catherine's four, 16 and Peter's 12 at the time. So they were two years apart, sort of, we always joke we had the two-year plan. We had a foster son, uh, Valeriano, and he's, uh, we got him when he was 17 and a half. Kind of a long story there, which we won't get into, but he was, so we kind of had a family of basically four kids um, at the time. And he was, I guess he was 18 or 19 when Andy. He actually he just, had just turned 20 right. the day before the Right, his birthday is the day so before, right. So yeah, he just turned 20. That was kind of the last thing we did as a family is celebrate uh, Valeriano's birthday. Right, and so um, so Andy's a, was a small kid. He was uh, not yet gone through puberty, really. Uh, and so he was always a tiny kid all growing up. Which always the smallest him kid in his class. Yeah, always the smallest kid in the class. We're out in West Michigan, and people tend to be really big here too, Dutch heritage. <laughs> and so it, it sort of uh, exacerbated <laughs> his, uh, his shortness. It bothered him a little bit. Uh, I think he got probably picked on a little bit at school because of that. He was also a very kind, gentle kid. And so I think that's sort of um, why he, which made him great. And he, he was a fantastic brother for his, uh, for his sister and his brother. You know, if I had to pick out some things to describe him, sort of his inner family, he was the energy and he was the glue. So he was the thing that sort of tied everybody together. He was very emotional and not in a bad way always, not like angry and stuff, but he was, he would get very sad and be very happy. So he's like really high or really low. Yeah. He would get frustrated with himself. Um, yeah. If he didn't do well at something, um, never really frustrated with other people. Uh, he just was so forgiving of other people, but of himself, he could be self-critical um, and just kind of an anxious kid. Yeah. Anxiety was definitely a problem for him. 
Uh, so he, he always struggled with that and, and just the self-doubt that went with pretty much whatever he, he did. Um, so because he would compare himself to others all the time, whether it was, you know, school with like his, his brother and sister or athletics. Although, I mean, I think he had a pretty good understanding of who he was athletically. He wasn't a great athlete. He loved playing games. He loved being being on a team. He oh, loved, he loved the, it. He loved just the camaraderie and and he never would complain. I mean, he we go to he play in a soccer game and he play like five minutes or something and you know coming off the bench and he never. I mean, it. Some people would say they would not complain about it, but it, you could tell it bothered him. It, re, it. I don't think he really even ever cared. No, he definitely liked playing, but if he was just on the bench, he's like, well, you know, because his thought is, well, I played in practice and I got to be part of that team. It was he weird. just loved being part of the team. Yeah. He loved his teammates. It's, I mean, in general, his teammates always loved him, too, because he was their biggest cheerleader. Yeah, and he always. didn't complain. He wasn't, he wasn't like, uh, he wasn't jealous or fighting with them for playing time and stuff like that, which you, which, I don't know, I mean, maybe that's a bad thing in some ways. You Like, he wants someone to fight. But he would, he would always try really hard and do whatever he could, but he never... He just never complained, so he was he wasn't a threat to people, I think, and and he was always so encouraging. So it's hard to get really upset with the kid, yeah. If he's your uh, teammate, his his best friend, they um, met really playing soccer, and um, I just recently had talked to his mom, and he was talking about how much he missed Andy being there to support him. Andy would always say. He was like the best soccer player and he was a good soccer player, but he wasn't really the best. But in Andy's mind, he was. And when um, he was trying out for the soccer team, Andy was so supportive, like, oh, you're going to make it for sure. You're going to be the best kid on the team. And um, and his mom told me that, that he really missed having that that cheerleader, somebody knowing that he was just going to be great. Um, they were they were going to different high schools actually. Um, Andy was uh, about to start at the West Michigan Aviation Academy because he he wanted to be a pilot. His sister went to school there and was going to be starting her junior year. And um, it's a much smaller school than the district we had lived in, so um, he was going to try out for the soccer team there. Um, I, I remember that summer before. Uh, the kids would get together and practice the varsity and JV, just all the kids from the school that played soccer. Girls and boys would practice yeah. together. Mm-hmm. And um, the first time I took Andy to that practice, he was so intimidated. He wanted to leave. He didn't want to go at all. There were kids so much bigger than him. Um, but I encouraged him to just stay and how. Catherine, his sister, had told him how the kids were so nice, and I, you know, left him there to practice, and he was all smiles when I picked him up. He had met so many nice kids there. He said he was really excited, um, just as he always was. I mean, really, his favorite phrase was, um, I'm so excited. I would hear, Mom, I'm so excited, multiple times a week, um, because he just had so much energy and everything made him so excited yeah yeah he it kind of drove me crazy because he would say i'm so aren't you excited for the trip we're going on i'm like what are you talking about it's like in you know six weeks or something but he'd be excited about those sorts of things and and i would i'm person who kind of gets excited maybe when i'm on the plane maybe on the plane you know heading there so i just you know he, he just would the anticipation was was so much of what it was for him and and so that's why I was at, he was always the energy. He always brought the, he brought everybody together. And because of the way he was with his teammates, I mean, he was just like that at home. So he was his um, siblings' biggest fan. And he would talk about how great they were, you know, their, uh, my daughter writing or Peter playing soccer as well and how smart they were and all those sorts of things. And so he was, and there wasn't an ounce of really, it was weird. There wasn't a lot of sibling rivalry in that sense, I don't think. I never no. thought there was a. There I, I, I mean, he would feel bad. He, I, I mean, the week before he died, um, we were playing a card game, and he added something up wrong, and his younger brother corrected him, and he <laughs> said, um, "I'm the dumb one in the family," and, <laughs> I, I mean, I was just in shock, 
And what's really funny is his foster brother was sitting there and his foster brother is from Guatemala and his English isn't the best. And he kind of barely was able to get through high school, obviously, having that as really his third language, English. And he said, um, we both the dumb one, Andy, and gave him a high five across from the table. And then Andy started laughing. We all started laughing and we just went on with the game like nothing. So, um Anyway, he could get down on himself, but was pretty easy to get back up, actually. Yeah, and he, I mean, when he, when we brought Valeriano into the family, I mean, we brought a kid who was 17 and a half years old. He had some medical conditions, and, and anyway, he was from Guatemala, like Marcy said. And, and uh, he was, it was like he had always been, Valeriano had always been in the family. It was, it was very weird, within really the same day, he's like, okay, I got a new brother. And it was, it was weird. I, he was much more accepting than I was. He he was so, yeah, thrilled about it. We, ha, Our dining room table seats six people, and we've only had five in our family. And he w- said, oh, now we get to fill all the chairs at the dining room table. And he really loved Valeriano before he even arrived. I mean, as the rest of us were anxious, I was anxious about bringing this medically complex yeah, teenager t- mm-hmm. into our house who really didn't speak that great of English and Andy was just all over it ready he said he probably plays soccer he'll be able to play soccer with us he'll be able to do this and that and just loved him right away yeah well he was and he loved everybody and that was I mean that was Andy you know I think that's the one defining characteristic is just his love yeah um I do want to tell a story about him as a little boy um, that has really struck me now after he died. Um, He was seven, and he had drawn a picture at school of his family, and we were driving home in our minivan, and he said, Mom, I drew this picture. I can't wait to show you, you know, okay I said well I can't look at it while I'm driving but as soon as we get home I will so I open up the van door to get him out and he proudly unrolls this big picture and I look at it and it's got a big tree and it's got a family and the the sun up in the corner and I look at it and it's a family of four and I'm thinking to myself who did he forget to put in did he forget to put in his brother his sister what's going on and I said Andy why are there only four people in the picture? And he said, um, well, that's you and dad and Katie and Peter. And um, I said, well, where are you? And he said, well, I'm in heaven. I'm not going to grow up all the way. And he was so calm and content with that. He wasn't upset about it at all he just said it very matter-of-factly and it freaked me out completely because he seemed so sure and I thought oh dear god please no I wouldn't be able to handle this no 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 I threw away the picture as soon as he kind of forgot about it because I didn't want to look at a picture of a family of four because we had a family of five and I had hopes and dreams for him and he was going to grow up all the way. Um, So the night of the accident, certainly within a couple of hours, I turned to Eric and we both said, remember the picture because he was right and that he didn't grow up all the way. He just grew up part of the way. And, um, Somehow God gave him that glimpse. And I'm pretty sure had I asked him about it the day before the accident, he wouldn't have remembered that at all. With just a little glimpse, I think, into the future, really, that Eric and I could grasp onto later. um, Just knowing that he was okay with it. And that he wasn't at all upset at the prospect of his brother and sister growing up and him not. Yeah, I think, I mean, I never saw the picture, and it was... Um, I just told him about yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I don't think I really even, I don't think I remembered until, of course, the night of the accident, you mentioned it, it reminded me that 
and because I know it really bothered you because you'd seen it and he was again so sure of things and you told your friends and yeah, told them who, how much it bothered you and and you know of course they recalled afterwards that oh yeah I do remember you talking about that and it's not you know there are certain stories you remember of your kids like I remember you know you always say so oh, I got to write this down because I need to remember them, whatever it is and you. I don't know if you're like me, you don't write these things down. You just assume you remember them and you don't remember all of them. You remember certain things. That's the kind of thing that you intentionally don't remember. Like you remember the funny things they do or say, you know, when they're whatever, you know, some a store, they do something. I remember you know, Andy on the train talking about, about you know, why are girls and boys different? Why doesn't Katie have, you know, <laughs> different body parts, right? <laughs> like, And, you know, announcing the entire train when he's like two or three. It was really pretty funny. But those things you remember, but you don't, you try not to remember those things, but you know, at certain times they come back to you, but. And even, um, a week and a half before he died, we were up North at our cottage and we, um, they have firework shows that you can see by boat. And so they had the fireworks and we went as a family. And what's unique about this time is that most of the time we have other people with us, other family members, either Eric's parents or his sister and family. We had friends up last year, uh, but this year, it was only the five of us. Even Valeriano was stayed back home and was working. So we all climbed in the bow of the boat and all laid together looking at the fireworks. And I remember thinking to myself how content I was. And I thought, you really have to enjoy this moment because pretty soon they're going to grow up and they won't be here anymore. And, you know, I knew we only had two more years with Catherine before she went off to school. And I thought, oh, enjoy this. Enjoy this. Remember this forever. And I didn't realize that I think really why that happened to me was so that I could remember it just a week and a half later when he would be gone. So I guess we'll talk about the accident a little bit. I think um, it was, I, I mean, it's obviously unexpected. We were just, <coughs> it was just a typical day. We're going driving to the baseball game, minor league game. We used to go to games all the time when the kids were littler. But as they got bigger, we didn't, we weren't able to make as many games because kids just have other stuff going on. And Marcy had a work event where they, you know, rent a little platform that you get food and before the game and, and you watch and the you game. you could eat as much food right, as you want, so which the boys were <laughs> thrilled about. Teenagers, you can always get them there with unlimited food. There are buffets, right, of stadium food. And so we were, um, I I wasn't planning on going, and then uh, I unexpectedly, even though I was on call, the OR was not busy, and I got out really early, and so I called Marcy and said, hey, I can make the game. Why don't, do you think I can get another ticket? And she figured out, she found a way to get another ticket to go. So we had to stop at her office. Uh, Catherine was um, had a violin lesson. She had, had a driver's license, so she could go take herself. So she didn't go to the game with us. Valeriano was working as he was at this point, because he graduated from high school, and now he's working like crazy. Um, and so just the four of us. Yeah, I mean, it was going to be the three of us. I remember um, asking the boys if they still wanted to go, because you know it wouldn't be the six of us; it'd just be three. And I remember Peter saying, I think it would be a great mother-son activity <laughs> to do. So I, you know, spent the money and bought the tickets because I had to pay extra for the boys to go. And we were looking forward to the mother-son event until dad unexpectedly could go, which everyone was excited about. Yeah. So, um, and, and I had been to a game. Well, none of us had been to a game. <laughs> we actually bought, I'd gotten tickets for the game two days later. <clears throat> just got, I think a Harry Potter night or something like that. Yeah, right. And uh, we were supposed to go on Wednesday and Friday that week. So, but Catherine's gonna go that one because she's a big Harry Potter fan. Anyway, so we're on our way to the game. Well, you know, um, I am gonna step back just a minute because we forgot to talk about Andy and his soccer. Um, he he ended up making the JV soccer team, um, which he was absolutely thrilled about. Uh, you know, he practiced with those kids all summer. I brought him to the tryout, and he was so nervous that he wasn't going to make that team. Um, but I, it, we said his favorite Bible verse, which is, um, Be still and know that I am God, Psalm, um, 
uh, 46 verse 10. And so we said that very slowly and methodically, like we always did to try to calm him down before having to go to this tryout. And I picked him up a couple hours later and he was all smiles. And he said, I know I'm going to make the team. (laughs) He said, uh, I am not the worst kid on the team. I know I'm going to make it. Um, So anyway, he was thrilled and he ended up making the team. And uh, then even the the day before he died, they announced all the starters. And he was certainly not expecting to be a starter. He um, had been a midfielder, like like we said before, just kind of filling in. But he had worked so hard over the summer and he would come home and he would say, I had the best practice of my life. Like every day he was saying he was practicing so well. And so they announced the starters and they started with the goalie and went through, did the goalie and then the defenders and then the midfielders and his name wasn't called. And he thought, well, okay, he was going to be coming off the bench just like normal. And then they they, uh, announced the strikers and the very last name they announced was left striker Andy Larson and he said he had been making goals with his left foot which he'd never done in his whole life and I remember telling him well you better keep practicing with that left foot because coach thinks you can make it every time now um so anyway he was thrilled he was supposed to have his first game um that Saturday they were doing a tournament and um so that was his first game. First game starting, really, unless they had enough absences in his uh, travel league that he was in. Um, but he was over the moon. So anyway, that that night, um, he had soccer practice, of course. He was with one of his very good friends, um, carpooling. And he was texting me on the way home. I'm almost home. I'm coming. And I'm so excited for the game. And... Um, all of this. So uh, I'll I'll let you take over from there. I just wanted to add that. Yeah, I was <coughs> actually just kind of upset that I never got to watch him play once. Yeah, on that varsity team, he did have his jersey that he got the day before. We took pictures of it. That's the picture we actually put in for his obituary. Um, was him just grinning away. In that aviator's jersey. So we <coughs> went to the on our way to the baseball game like normal. Um, it's not a very far drive. It's up a, a little bit north of town on the freeway. There's some construction, so it actually one of the highways was freeways is closed, and so we had to take a little different route. But basically, we 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 pull into the exit lane. It's a long, like mile long exit lane to the baseball stadium, and it's backed up like it always is. You know, brake lights half mile long or whatever and and we were commenting how it was surprising that it was actually moving okay so sometimes it stops but I think we're moving like you know the typical free crawl five miles an hour or whatever and and I was just driving and not even paying any attention really and then like just this giant explosion so this car struck us going highway speeds you know 70 miles an hour or whatever we think it's not known for sure but anyway someone had didn't notice anything and just smashed in the back of our van. So I didn't see anything for a second. Then we, then the next thing I see is us kind of traveling into the grass, I guess, you know, somewhere through a sign, through a sign. I didn't really see the sign. I don't think, I mean, I think you just, I think all that kind of happened almost instantaneously. Like we, and I'm guessing I couldn't see because the airbag was deployed. Also, my course, my glasses get thrown off my face, so I can't see great anyway. Marcy's moaning. Peter's behind me moaning. Andy. Unconscious. Yeah, both of you unconscious. And and Andy's not making noise. He's just sitting behind Marcy. Um, and there's a little bit of, I think there's a little blood and trickling his nose or something. Or I can't recall now for sure. But his eyes are half open. He just looked like he'd been knocked out. And so I just assumed he was unconscious. And and I was saying, you know, it's his name, trying to get him roused. And I'm like, well, I and I couldn't, you know, reach him because, of course, he's I'm buckling my seat and he's buckling his, and I unbuckle myself and and the try and get van him. was in such bad yeah. shape. It was some guy came up and he's um, trying to open up Andy's door. He can't get it open, or maybe he's talking through your. Door. I can't even recall actually, but um, 
we're trying to get him out and I've like eventually had to just unbuckle his belt and lift him out of the car because he was, you know, again, very little. I don't even know if he's, was he five feet tall? No. no. He wasn't even five feet yet. But I mean, <laughs> for a 14 year old, a 14 and a half year old, uh, it's pretty small. I was going to measure him the yeah, next day because his brother had a check. Right, yeah. yeah. So anyway, I took him and, and then it was clear that he was not breathing. Uh, and so, and his, I couldn't find a pulse and so I started doing compressions. And the, 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 uh, the other man who was helping me, he was just uh, asked me if I was, you know, tired. This is sort of the usual thing you're supposed. To. He was, I guess, he was an army medic or something like that. Or, um, and then eventually I took over his breathing while the other uh, man did the c- chest compressions. Then the firefighters came, and then eventually the paramedics, and they took over for everything. And then I went back, and then the paramedics started working on me, and I think partly just to get me away from him. Uh, at that point, because they had to do a lot more invasive things, like and then, um, and that's when they joined me with with Marcy, who was also genomic glasses on, so you probably couldn't see the grade either. And well, and and I have no memory up until that moment at all. So certainly, I was unconscious for part of it. I guess I was conscious at some point because I was when I became aware of our surroundings. I was sitting in the grass looking at Eric, seeing blood running down his face. And I just said, what happened? Because I had no memory of what happened at all. And I think you said something about there was an accident. And I turned, I remember very distinctly looking over my right shoulder and seeing, you know, these men surrounding my little boy doing chest compressions. And um, he had a needle in his chest and Anyway, it was horrible. And I turned back and looked at Eric and I said, is he going to be okay? And uh, you initially said yes. And then I think you thought better of it and said they're doing the best they can. And I thought, that means no. And I turned and looked again. And either you or one of the firefighters said, don't look. And I said, I have to look. And I started just screaming, please, God, please, God. And um, then the firefighter said, you should go be with your other son. And so they brought me up to the fire truck. And I sat with Peter, who we later learned had watched everything. I think he came to quite a bit earlier. He saw his dad take Andy from the car. Um, He remembers him very distinctly being slumped over. Um, He watched his dad do all of that resuscitation. He watched the paramedics. The door to the fire truck was not closed, so he saw everything. Um, and then w- I wasn't in the fire truck very long, and they said I needed to go to an ambulance because I needed to be checked out. And so I just was numb. I walked over to the ambulance. Couldn't even see Andy at that point. But I expected them to put me on a gurney and and check me, but they didn't. They um, sat me down, and they sat Eric down right next to me. And this moment I'll never forget is when the paramedic came in and said, despite our best efforts, we were unable to save your son. And they went to the hospital, all three of us. They started calling people and and, uh, telling them. I remember saying, uh, calling people and saying, we've been in an accident and Andy's dead. And every single person said, what? And I had to say it again every time. That was hard. We stayed in the hospital overnight <coughs> because Peter had had a concussion and so we were in the children's hospital. And, and I'd had a concussion. Yeah, yeah but they weren't as concerned about you, I guess. I think they were okay with, they were going to admit me, but I think they then thought, we should be together as a family, and as long as I was going to be in a hospital room and someone would be kind of be there, it would be okay. We had loads of people in the emergency room. Um, I called my nurse when shortly after the accident and told her what happened. And I think almost everybody immediately got in their cars and drove to the hospital. It was just full. Yeah, I don't think anyone stayed for the game at that point. No, <laughs> I don't think so. And our poor daughter, Catherine, was, you know, just at home. And we did get a hold of our pastor. Um, 
to go and pick her up at our house. Unfortunately, in the meantime, someone had called from the hospital. They didn't tell her, certainly, that Andy had died, but she knew Peter was hurt. She knew her dad was talking. She knew I had just woken up. So she knew something really bad had happened. Um, And she told me that she thought, oh, I hope Peter's not hurt too badly because Andy will never make it without him. Because they didn't say a word about Andy. And so she just assumed that he was fine. So she was obviously quite shocked when the pastor came and had to tell her her brother was dead. Then, longest night of our lives. Yeah. We slept, cried constantly, wailed about everything. Yeah. Everything you can imagine. Just disbelief, really. I know those next days were well. You just a blur. You certainly have to plan funerals. You have to plan your. Got a cemetery plot. All sorts of things. You (laughs) can't plan those sorts of things. No. Our friends did a lot for us. A lot. Yep. Yeah, we had great friends who helped do all that stuff that needs to be done that you couldn't really think about doing. I mean, aside. I couldn't even do my hair. I had to have one of my friends help me do my hair. <laughs> I couldn't do anything. So it was important to have friends there with us, walking with us. Mm-hmm. I had a friend help me write the obituary because I just couldn't do it. Yeah, I mean, without other people, we wouldn't have gotten through things. I guess you do. I mean, I think you get through just not as well as you would otherwise. It may, makes a difference. It's it's strange how everything is hard afterwards. You just, you, I feel like I can't do anything. I couldn't think. I couldn't. I just was numb and in such disbelief for so long. Just thinking this absolutely couldn't be happening, and at any moment I would wake up and everything would be fine. Yeah, I still—I mean, I still feel that way. Oftentimes, when you oh think yeah. about it, it, doesn't really seem doesn't seem possible. It's been a year now that he's been gone. Um, except yeah. that two days ago it was March the year. Yeah. Things feel different. I mean, you know, when you're in, in the family, it's not the same, obviously, uh, and you're always dealing with the repercussions of him not being around. So, I mean, that is real, but it still feels like he should still be around. Yeah, because he was just so alive. He was, you know, it's not like he got sick and we watched him dwindle away. He just was talking about reading Lord of the Rings one second, and the next second he was gone. So, but what we... What I really want to focus on on this podcast is how to get through and how to help people through. And obviously, we're still in the midst of that. Um, We went to our first support group for bereaved parents 22 days after he died, which um, was really soon, much sooner than most people I now know. but I remember thinking, I don't, I shouldn't be here. This isn't happening to me. I don't belong with these people. I should just leave. Andy's fine. Uh, and, and I just, I didn't, but I uh, sat there and one of the facilitators who had lost her son years and years before said, I finally felt like myself nine years later. And I couldn't believe that. I was so sad to think that I could feel like that for nine years. Um, it was terrifying. Oh, yeah. I mean, again, I I tell people this all the time. The one emotion I don't, I never thought that I experienced is fear. And there's so much of it. I mean, there's the fear of always feeling this way or... Never having the same relationship with your wife or with your kids, your kids never being okay, that they're not going to ever recover, and uh, and that you're never going to be able to go to work again. You're never going to be able to to laugh again. To, I mean, there's so much to be afraid of, uh, 
I mean, that's that's actually strangely the overwhelming emotion once you get through the just the shock, I guess, of it. Yeah, the, just the sadness. I mean, you're totally accepting and, and expecting the sadness. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, mm-hmm. you have I expect to feel hollow and sad. But the hollowness is even something that you're afraid of. I, you know, yeah. I, yeah. I don't think, like the sadness, again, you think, well, at some point you won't be sad anymore. I think the fear is that you won't get better and that you still always be sad or that you'll always feel hollow or that you can never have the capacity to laugh or, I mean, I, it was months before I thought, I don't know if I, I may still, it's like, I don't know, am I ever going to feel joy? I mean, I'm, I'm walking through the motions, I'm showering, I'm getting ready and, you know, going about my business, but I'm not, I'm not really glad I'm here. Oh, no. Yeah, I remember our, um, hearing someone speak now, them saying, you know you're getting better when you care if you live or die. Hmm. Yeah. When you really care. And some days I still don't care. I mean, I don't, I'm not like actively suicidal, but I think if the Lord were to take me today, great. Please do not be sad because <laughs> I won't yeah. be. Well, I think, yeah, and you, you definitely, if, if nothing else, have moments where you feel like that. Right. Yeah. I think the, initially you're like, I, this is. Too much. Yeah. I can't handle this. This is more than I can, more than I can bear. And, and, and it's almost like, you know, in the moment you're like, I can't, I can handle this right this second, but I'm not gonna be able to handle this for a week. You know, when yeah. you look at it in its totality, you're like, there's no way you can make it through, but I can do it one you know, it's a, it's a, you really it's a cliche. You really have to do one moment it's at a time. It's a cliche. Like, I just have to, you talk to these people about, who've gone through it and they're like, you know, you just need to get up the next day and just go about your business. And you're like, that's really stupid. It doesn't seem like that's, that's not a plan. But it's like really the only plan that, that's real. And then once you get through, you're like, now you're, you know, six months out, you're like, okay, well, now I can see. Next week. I, I can yeah. see, yeah, <laughs> I can. Two weeks from now, yeah. I can see dates in the horizon where maybe just like, I just need to get through. Like, there's a holiday coming up and you're like, I just need to, we just need to get through past the holiday on the calendar and get to the next day and then worry about it. But you, do, you, um, I don't know. I mean, there's, it's hard to sort of get excited about planning things and, um, but they just, well, especially since Andy was our excitement. Right. I mean, he was the guy who got so, everybody pumped about whatever. So that is a even bigger loss, I would say, for us and our family is having him you know, the exciting one (laughs) to be gone. You know, you talked about fear. Another emotion that I end up feeling a lot ends up being guilt, too. And I don't know if you feel that as much, but if I laugh, I end up feeling guilty Mm -hmm. about it. I think I shouldn't. Yeah. Um, I, you know, you talked about being afraid that you'll never feel joy, but then I end up feeling... Well, gosh, if I feel joy again, I don't think that's respecting him. It's making people think that I'm okay. Yep. It's I just feel guilty about any sort of like happy emotion that I have. Um, you know, I have people say to me, it was good to see you smile. And I think, oh, shoot, I shouldn't have right. smiled then. You're not uh, honoring his memory. Right. And which I know is silly. He he. You know, the kid loved laughing, right? Happy. Yeah. And and he always laughed. And um, you know, people have said, well-meaning people have said, Andy wouldn't want you to be like this. Andy would want you laughing and smiling. But what does that do when I hear that? Now I just feel guilty. On top of it, if I'm not, I <laughs> I feel guilty because Andy would want me to. If I am happy. I feel guilty because, gosh, I shouldn't be happy yeah. because I just had this really horrific thing happen to me. Yeah, the suffering is, it's more than just the law. I mean, it's like everything. Yeah, you don't feel, you don't know how to feel. I mean, there are emotions that are raw, but there you, you, you catch yourself feeling emotion. You're like, that's not appropriate. Like, that's why I think it's hard going out in public. Like, how do I present myself when I'm out in, at the grocery store? Can I ever smile when I hear some see something silly or funny or whatever? Or do I have to look like I'm always very sad? Because that's really a lot of energy. <laughs> it's really tiring to even be neutral. You're like, that's even too much joy. 
So that right. was a, I mean, that's, that was the hardest thing about just going out and anywhere to do anything. Cause you're just like, I've got to, not that you're faking it, but just that you feel like for other people well, who don't, you, who don't you see you. You kind of are though. I mean, there are times when I have not gone somewhere that you've gone and cause I just say, I don't have the energy to fake it today. I just don't. And I feel like I have to because everyone is so uncomfortable being around you when you're upset and sad because it's just not what people feel okay about. You know, they ask you, how are you today? And I often now say, okay. And they would just come back with, oh, good. I'm so glad you're doing better. Right. And I'm just saying, okay, I'm not really okay. I'm anything but okay. But, you know, I say it because what am I going to say instead? Cruddy? I'm doing terrible? I mean, you don't want to say that. Because you're you're basically forcing them to make a decision to talk to you about, about it, which they pro- you're guessing they probably don't want to. Right. Um, and, and I think, you know, it's maybe unfair to others just to always assume that they are not okay with you being, you know. Yeah. You make the assumption that, well, I, they're, they're expecting me to be sad. And so if I say anything but like, well, you know, it's terrible, they're going to think, oh, what a jerk. He doesn't care about his son who just died or something. Or, you know, or they're, or, you know, maybe people aren't others uncomfortable. I'm actually surprised. There are absolutely people who are very uncomfortable with me being sad <laughs> uh, when I, you know, at work. Um, but what I have found, I think, that has been. Well, the, our work situation is different. I think, you know, I, I went back to work fairly soon afterwards, within about a month and a half or so, I think, or a month after Andy had passed away. I Very limited roles. I didn't take call. My group is really great about sort of protecting me and making it real easy for me to ease back into some sort of normal routine. Yeah, you just went to a plastic yeah, just surgery, surgery for center. For a month, and I just worked, dealt with the same people. And so it's a very small, you know, uh, number of people work there and so after your first couple of days you've kind of had the recognition of what you're going through and then they know what you're how you are and they're just happy that you're you know able to sort of function and everyone is overall very forgiving and and i found and the work what work has helped me more than anything so i think there's the distraction component so it gives you it occupies your mind and what you know you've got a job to do uh, whatever it might be uh, and so it provides that provides you some purpose <laughs> to get into a way of passing the time where you're not forced to think about, you know, Andy all the time. Although all the time you think about him and various things that come up, you know, maybe less so now than it was initially. But the one thing I've noticed with work that's been the most helpful, especially I've noticed it more recently, probably the last six months or maybe less, is that generally speaking, I'm surrounded by people who care about me and who love me. Now, you know, they not like, you know, deep, intense love or something, but as you care about how someone who, who you work with, I mean, I think, you know, if you walk to the grocery store, no one there cares how you're feeling. Like you can honestly walk to the grocery store if, unless, you know, people, you know you, but for the most part, not a single person there cares what you, what's going on in your life. I mean, honestly, but I guarantee everybody I work with, they do care on some level and they want me to be okay. And it is helpful because even though they may not want to necessarily talk about it, some do. And and the fact that everybody there is around you and surrounds you wants you to be okay and to be successful in life or whatever, it is comforting. I mean, being around all those people because it's because there are times when you'll talk about grief or there's something happens in their family and you know now you're sort of a resource because you're going through something hard, um, whether it's kids with drugs or some a parents having problems or someone's got problems with their spouse whatever it might be you know you've you've gone through hard times and so if they can talk about their hard times and going through things and I think there's a definitely a, a level of curiosity on some people on just what it's like I mean I've I had a nurse I talked to the other day and there's actually a couple of them and I was just talking about I'm fairly open about talking about this when people are okay with it and I'm feeling all right but um, just what it's like to go through what the gr- grief is like and what it's like to try and what's helpful and not helpful. And I, f- and, and uh, people are generally interested in sort of what to do and how to respond. And, and these are people who care about me again, on some level, um, you know, we're not besties or something, but, but just the fact that I am f- 
that they do they care enough it makes it a lot easier just to get through the day and then and there are and there are opportunities when you can talk about it and and I think you know I was just reading a book recently I've just now started reading books about grief I we had what stacks of books we have like 50 books at home yes and we had seven copies of one book (laughs) right and the last thing you really want to do when you have no energy is to read a book about people being sad (laughs) because now at I'm at the point, and you're... I wanted to play board games, actually. Yeah, well, you just want just to distract. You just want time to pass. You just want to get yeah. to the next day and just survive. Um, <clears throat> but I thought... Uh, so I started reading this book, and and there was a passage in there about um, the sadness, and in people who come up to you, they say, well, I don't want to make you feel sad. And I'm like, you know right. what? I'm kind of sad all the time. Now, I might cry, because we're talking about something that makes me... But I was still sad anyway. I still mourn the loss of my son. So you making me cry... Eh. It was still, I I mean, I'd even say we are that way around each other still. Like, you don't want to make me cry. I don't want to make you cry. And honestly, it doesn't really, it like, it doesn't bother me. You know, when I start no, crying and you're no. t- you start talking, telling some story about Andy no, and I start and crying, I'm like, well, it's okay. I would I hope. I know. If I start crying in front of other people, they always say, oh, I'm so sorry. I, I didn't mean to, I'm so sorry. And really what I want more than anything is to still have people talk about Andy. There are a few people in my life that like are afraid to mention his name and never ever talk about him and that bothers me more actually. I feel better if they talk about him even if it makes me cry just because I know that he's being remembered and that he was important to them and they see what we're going through and they're going through. Um, so I think that's important. And I do notice that people that have gone through grief, whether it be a parent or a sibling um, or one of their children, uh, they just get it more and they're able to kind of understand more and be there more than some people that really haven't experienced it because they just really it's it's hard to know what to do. And that that's part of why I think I wanted to start this podcast because of people like feeling like oh if I just need to wait. Um they'll be okay in 6 months or in a year yeah. or you'll be whole again. And I'm never going to be whole. That's that's just not going to happen. Now, I'm not going to be the same person I was before Andy died. But that doesn't mean I can't lead a fulfilling life. I know now. Um, in my head, I know. Sometimes I don't feel that in my heart. Yeah. But I I know. But I think people need to understand that it that you're not going to be the same. Um, but it's not always a bad thing. You're never the same. I mean, that's the thing no. that's funny. You Now, when you lose someone like this, it's, I mean obviously life-changing event and massive sort of upheaval but I mean I would hope every all the time I'm learning things and incorporating new information about how people behave or you know about the world and become trying to make myself a better person I'm trying to I'm not ever going to be who I was before I know I'm not the same person I was when we got married once you have kids and once you've been married for a couple years I mean all this you're always changing and so I, I I mean the wholeness is kind of a I think it's kind of just the wrong word because I think yeah. you're always whole. You may feel like part of you is missing. Yeah, I do. I, I do. Yeah. Certainly. I mean, I think you, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm missing things, but I still feel I'm like the whole person. It's just there. It's, uh, it's, it's not, it's a crappier version sometimes than what I want it to be, but it's definitely, I don't know. I mean, I, I just, you know, the terminology we use is the problem is it's just the language is not adequate to come to sort of convey how you yeah. feel. I know I've read many times now, you know, they if you lose your spouse, you're called a widow. If you lose your parents, you're called an orphan. If you lose your children, there's no term for that. They're you're just a sad parent. You're just a sad parent. Um, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's so, so difficult. And, and I would say there's some things that I've, that I've learned, and um, I we've talked about this before. I've talked about this a lot of people that... When we initially went to that grief support group, there were a number of families, so a number of couples there who were, um, and actually single, uh, just yeah. adults. 
And half of them, I think, at the, I think about half of them in the group had lost adult children. So kids who already had their own kids or so they had grandchildren and, um, and then other one family lost, uh, an infant. Someone had lost two like special needs kids. And then there's one person another time who had lost a child to suicide. who was probably like 19 or 20. And, you know, initially going, you're like, why are I around these people? Because it's a totally different experience. They lost kids. You're, you know, they seem they hardly had a chance to see them grow up and have a family and see what they become. And then they don't have to walk past their bedroom right. and avoid doing their laundry. All that all stuff. That yeah, stuff. all that stuff. And then you realize that actually it's kind of the same in some ways that you always feel robbed of time that you should have had. And you never saw them fully become who they're going to be because you you can't. You're never going to. Um, I guess you, in some ways you really did. You did see everything yeah. they were going to become. And it's just not fair because it's not what you had hoped that they would have fully expressed them, you know, in their life, had their life been longer. And, you know, as a 10-year-old. You know, it's funny with um, Andy, we used to have this silly game that we would play because I would say, I love you. And he would always respond back, I love you more. And I would say, no, I love you more. And he would say, no, I love you more. And, and I would always say to him, I know you think you love me more. And I thought I loved my mom more than anything. And my mom passed away when I was 21. And, you know, that was a huge loss for me. But I said, once you have kids, you will understand that that love is different and more than what you, how you loved your parents. I would always say that to him. Once you have kids, you'll understand. And so the fact that he never could is hard. He never could experience that. And it's, it's hard to try to trying to say um, one loss is more or less than another. And so it's, you know, it's no, all kind no. of, it's all sort of the same and it's all different. It's unique to your situation, who you are and how you get through things. And so, you know, I think, um, I think an interesting thing that I never felt like I had as much issue with, but you did, is, is, the, is the emotion of anger. I never had, oh. like, I, I never had anger. a lot of anger towards... And I always almost felt, <laughs> talk about guilt, I never really felt guilty, I mean, I never felt angry about the, the woman who struck her car, who wasn't paying attention, um, and, you know, hit us at what her highway speeds and killed Andy. I, I mean, I was never angry with her. I, I don't know if I felt sorry for her necessarily. I did later, I think, just because when I started thinking about what it must be like for her. Um, but I thought, but I was never angry with her. Or the situation, I maybe was angry at the situation, but I was never real. Anger was never something that really consumed me. I felt guilty that I did. You did have a, a time when you were just angry that he wasn't there. I, I was definitely angry I at know. the situation, and that's what I always yeah. say. I'd say I'm angry at the situation. Why I'm in this spot? It's not fair. It's you know I'm angry about and, it. And I was angry with her. I mean, I really was for quite a while. Yeah. Um, I, you know, she had a white BMW I think and I every time I saw a BMW I wanted to like kick the tires or something yeah. I every time I saw someone that looked kind of like her I would think oh my word is that her um and uh, I mean it, it just it I think it was consuming in some ways to have that anger and, and anger towards God too for taking him away and letting this happen um but if you, in my mind, if I had the anger, then I could avoid some of the sadness. And the anger was easier to deal with than the grief and loss and sadness. So I kind of hung on to that for a while, for longer than I wanted to, actually. Um, because I then I got to a point where I just couldn't be angry anymore it's tiring i just it? it's it is it's tiring and it's not me yeah i'm just you know i'm a pediatrician <laughs> pediatricians are not angry people you know we're pretty kind-hearted people and i just didn't like myself being angry i needed to get past that and i did and i fully forgive her now and um you know we had our day in court a almost two months ago now and I mean I hugged her um, she was certainly going through a lot um, she had a son the same age that was um, 
in the car and had to witness that too and she feels a lot of guilt and and sadness too and I feel for her now and I'm you know, I still get angry sometimes, you know, but I don't have that overwhelming anger anymore. And that's a nice thing to let go of. It's a lot more, it's a lot more fun being married to you <laughs> than having all that anger. Because that, because then it, you, the, you let it off at people who are around you and that's the kids and, you know, me and whoever's, you know, friends and stuff. And you were never like a mean person, but you definitely were just not, it was, you know, you're just upset and angry. And you, I mean, everyone's deals with people who are angry and it's just it's yeah. tiring for to try and live that way and so i mean i was to watch you to try and deal with that was hard because yeah and i would try to let go of it at times but i always then would come back to yeah. it i mean it was like i just for a while i just felt like it would be disrespectful to andy to let go yeah. of it and i had so many people tell me oh it's okay it's righteous anger it is okay to be angry. Um, but really for me and for my health and well-being, it, it wasn't. It wasn't okay. And, I mean, I understand other people were angry. I mean, uh, the woman who hit us didn't end up going to jail. She had to do some community service. And, but friends of ours really wanted her to go to jail. And we really didn't, actually. And... Um, think it was hard for other people to understand in some ways. Yeah, which makes you feel guilty because maybe I should be, right? <laughs> maybe I really should want her locked up for the rest of her life, but on some level, you know, um, I don't know, you can rationalize whatever, but I'm, I on, I was, it would tell people, I just maybe I should care, but I just whatever, whatever happens I still don't have Andy and that's really all I care about. I don't really care about anything else. If she's in jail forever or not, I it wouldn't make, it doesn't change my life one bit. No. It doesn't no. make me feel any better. Um, I just, so I. And in some ways, I go back to that picture. And I think, this was going to happen. This was going to happen. We were going to lose him before he grew up all the way. And that was somehow the plan. And I still kind of think that plan sucks. But yeah. <laughs> that is how things were always going to be. Um and hopefully some good can come out of that. And we do know that he's content. Yeah. Well. He's content now and at peace and not feeling anxiety and self-doubt anymore. So that can be, you know, nice to know. But moving on for us is hard. And I know you've gone back to work. I um, tried to go back to work. For a while, a um, few weeks afterwards, actually. I think I was still in shock at the time. But um, it was just so difficult. I, you know, I'm a pediatrician. I see kids every day. I see families every day. Um, I would see boys that played soccer, and I would think of Andy. I would see boys wearing a Michigan State shirt. I would think of Andy. And these are things that I always thought before. These are not different things. I mean, I would see a kid wearing socks or shoes that was the same as my boys, and I would think, oh, that's the same as Andy, and it would make me smile. But now those same things would just make me feel so sad, and I would cry between patients, and it just wasn't good. So um, I just cut back and did some administrative work for a while, and in fact, the summer have taken the time off because the kids really, Peter especially, just told me he needed me home this summer because, you know, his life was Andy. Those boys were together 24-7. I mean, yeah, they're best friends. In the summertime, they were never, ever apart. They played every second together, did so much together. And Peter was scared, I think, of how to live a summer without him. In the school year, he really poured himself into his schoolwork. He got straight A's this year. I mean, he would smile at school, people said. He would still laugh at school. He would have times when he would be certainly sad, but I don't think he let anyone see that at school. Only when he got home. Home was where it was hard. Yeah. And, and just... 
And in certain occasions, like the weather changes and now it's a different season and now different things that you would normally do with his brother. Miss, I mean, Andy was sort of his son. <laughs> he just kind of like orbited around him. Yeah. And yeah, it was always a big joke in our family that um, Catherine needed Eric, was a daddy's girl. Andy needed me. He just was always with me, attached to me and adored me. And Peter didn't need anybody because <laughs> he was always independent, always doing stuff on his own. Um, we have since learned, really, that Peter needed Andy. Uh, he just, everything Andy did. Maybe the most. Yeah. 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 I think he needed Andy more than the other kids even needed us in some ways. I mean, every activity Andy did, Peter wanted to do. Andy was extremely musically talented. I mean, from tiny, we went to a um, Trans-Siberian Orchestra <laughs> concert at Christmas time, and Andy was about five, I'd say. I think Peter was three. And I turned to him in the middle, and he just had tears just rolling down his cheeks. And I thought, what is wrong? And I turned to him and I said, Andy, what's the matter? And he said, the music, it's just so sad. Because he was so moved by the music. And then I turned and looked at Peter, and Peter said, I'm hungry. <laughs> so... I mean, music just meant so much to him. He he became a head chorister for the Grand Rapids Choir of Men and Boys, um, sang beautiful solos, one of which I'm, I'm I will attach at the end of this podcast, just so you can listen to his beautiful angelic voice. And Peter never loved music like Andy did, but if Andy was in the choir, Peter was going to be in the choir. And Peter has a beautiful voice as well. He just do- isn't as passionate. Mm-hmm. about it as his brother was um so in some ways we're seeing peter in a bit of new light this last year because he's not just in his brother's shadow following everything he does um so it's interesting to see him now yeah the family dynamics trying to live without family him. dynamics completely change yeah i mean I th- it's not any different than probably a kid going off to college and then you start seeing the other kids in different light because they no longer have the older sibling there you know so similar to that I guess in some ways but but different yeah <laughs> everything but I would say the the biggest um, you know I've, I've learned too that that people have to when you've lo- lost someone like this when you've lost a child you end up having to teach other people how to deal with you and it's it's not it's not great that you have to do that, certainly, but you do need to kind of let people know what you need. Yeah. In some ways. Yeah. I and think. I think, you know, even just as you were saying earlier, I think just telling someone it's it's okay that I that I'm crying. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay to talk yeah. about it. And you almost just have to tell those people because otherwise they'll they'll think that they're reopening it so they're reopening an old wound, right? And it and and you don't have to try to cheer me up, right? Or, or be encouraging. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's just I. If <laughs> there's one thing I learned is I I don't think I ever encourage you. Like I don't not very often. I don't think I'm like saying no. Try and you know you can be okay or anything. I I don't think I do a whole lot of that. I think you just sort of no no. Walk with it's, you. it's actually frustrating when people try yeah. to do that. I think I think they I just want somebody to walk with yeah. me. And somebody to be there and someone to say, yeah, that's, that stinks. Yeah. This is horrible. I can't imagine going through this, but I'm here for you. I'm walking with you. I'm not scared to be around you. Um, I'll just be here. Thanks for listening to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. Please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. We are always looking for new show ideas. If you'd like to be a guest, know someone who'd be a great guest, or have a show idea, please email us at marcy at andysmom.com. Be sure to visit the webpage, andysmom.com, for more content, including Marcy's blog. There you can also sign up to receive updates via email. Together, let's work to inspire hope, one day at a time.